And so we're making changes here. As I said, we've got our new mission statement, connecting people to Christ, and we're moving into this uh, new series uh, on Revelation. And we're going to be looking at the first three chapters of that book, because I believe what Jesus said to the seven churches in Asia, minor 2,000 years ago, is still something that he is speaking to his church today. Uh, now, when you bring up Revelation, there are usually two thoughts that people have when you, when you say Revelation. The first one is, I never opened that book. Okay, because they look at it and it's got all kinds of weird things in it. It's got all kinds of crazy things going on in there and they don't want to go any further because, you know, they've got heads and horns and beasts and all this stuff and their thought is that's way too confusing. And so I'm just going to stay away from it because I don't want to get confused uh, because Jesus, I mean, reading all of that, it's just going to lead me to confusion and I don't want Jesus and confusion all in the same thing. And so then there's the other people who take Revelation and they're like, okay, let me get Revelation. Let me open up to Revelation. Let me get my newspaper. Sit down at the table. You read a verse in Revelation. Then you go to the newspaper. Okay, where is this happening in the world? And we go through it and we try and interpret the events found in Revelation in the daily news. And neither one of those are good positions to take on Revelation. Yes, there are maybe some things that are going on in the world that can relate to what is being said in there, but that's not the best way to interpret that. But there's other things besides that. There's this whole idea that only cults or weirdos actually read the book of Revelation, you know? That, that there's only weird people that do that, only cults do that. I remember the first time that I decided I was going to take a class on Revelation at the church I was going to. Um, I'd been recently become a Christian, and um, uh, they, they'd offered this thing, and, and I had two reasons for wanting to take this, this uh, thing on Revelation. And the first one was this. Um, when I was younger, our, our, our Sundays were spent watching football, and there was always this show on before the pregame show came on for, for the NFL that was this, this, uh, this, this, they did this thing where they would just look at Revelation, and they would talk about all the modern things and times going on, and then they would show it on TV and try and relate it, kind of like what I was talking about with the newspaper thing uh, just a couple of minutes ago. And... Uh, and so I would watch this show as like a 10-year-old, and I was just fascinated hearing about scorpions that could kill you with their tails and, and hearing about all kinds of other weird stuff like that. And so I would sit there and I would watch this show. And so I was just, I wanted to take this class because I wanted to find out all the crazy stuff that I was watching. Now, the thing with this was the people who put that TV show on, it was actually a cult I found out in later years. And, uh, and so that wasn't such a good thing. But that's why, that's one of the reasons I wanted to study. It was to see if all of the things I'd seen on this weird TV show when I was like 10 years old were true. And then the second thing, the second thing was I wanted to know who the Antichrist was. All right, how many of you are there with me? You want to know who the Antichrist is? Everybody wants to know who's the Antichrist. When I, was, when I was taking this class, Bill Clinton was president, and so everybody thought Bill Clinton was the Antichrist, all right? And, and so I wanted to know the truth, and so I took this. But the church offered this class, and I signed up for it, and when my family asked me why I was going to church on a Tuesday, I told them it was because I was taking a class on Revelation. Well, that didn't go over too well in my household. My, my brother and my dad thought for sure I had joined a cult. And so they got me into a corner and they started drilling me with questions. You know, why, why are you taking this class? Have they told you to build a bunker in the backyard and stockpile it with food? Do you have ammunition in your closet in your bedroom? I mean, these were the kind of questions my dad and my brother were asking me. And when they, they were confident that I hadn't been told to do anything weird like that, they then thought, well, maybe he's just being weird. And so they asked me kind of the, how 
weird are you becoming because you're reading Revelation questions? And so, so I went through this whole process with my family and they decided that I wasn't a part of a cult and I wasn't getting too weird. And so they let me continue with this thing on Revelation. And, uh, and if you want to know more about Revelation and going through the whole book of Revelation, I just want to let you know that starting in September, one of our Sunday morning growth groups is going to be on Revelation. Terry Spiewak is going to be teaching it. It starts up Sunday, September 4th at 9.30 a.m. in our Student Life Center. But I want to start off this morning with these first two chapters by laying a foundation for what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And so we're going to start with some background information. Uh, in regards to Revelation. And so if you would like to turn there, Revelation is easy to find. It's the last book in your Bible. So if you flip all the way to the end, it should be there. If you've got other stuff there other than Revelation, you may not be reading a Bible. I'm just kidding. There may be maps or a concordance or something like that there. But uh, just keep flipping backwards a little bit and you're going to find it. It's the last thing in the book of Revelation. I mean, in the book of the the Bible. It's the last thing uh, in the Bible. But to start this discussion off, there are some things that we need to know about this book, some background information. So that is what we are going to do for the next few minutes. And the first piece of information that we need to know, and I know this is technical, and, uh, but the name of the book is Revelation, not Revelations. So please, it's singular, not plural. Revelations was a mini-series done in 2005 on NBC, okay? And so not the same thing. All right, now the second thing I'm going to say is that some of you may be wondering why we are bothering with these first three chapters because that's really not what we need to know about, is it? We need to know about the heads and we need to know about the horns and we need to know about the beast and and Babylon and all of this stuff. That's more applicable to our lives. Well, can I tell you this? That most of the books in the New Testament, most of the letters in the New Testament are actually letters to churches discussing problems and issues going on in the church. And and so that's what these first three chapters are, Jesus discussing problems and issues in the church. And so this is just as much as applicable to our lives as uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians is to us because 1 and 2 Corinthians was a book written to the church in Corinth that was having problems and issues. The book of Romans was was a letter written to the church in Rome that was having problems and issues. And so these seven churches here in Asia Minor and the the things that Jesus said, the letters that were written to them are just as applicable to us and our lives today. God has something to say through this. And Jesus has something to say to Fam Church through this as well. All right, so who is the guy who wrote this letter? Guy's name is John. You may have heard of him. He wrote the Gospel of John. He was one of Jesus' best friends. You know, he was there kind of hanging out, doing his, his, uh, his disciple thing. And uh, uh, he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And uh, the opening chapter of Revelation tells us he was on the island of Patmos when he wrote this. And that's why we have the name Letters from Patmos as the title to this series, is because that's where John was at. And you may say, well, how did he get to this island of Patmos? So what happened was John was telling people about Jesus, and one day he was arrested by the Romans, and the Romans sentenced him to death. And uh, the way they sentenced him to death was they were going to boil him in oil. How many of you are like, ooh, that's the way I want to die, being boiled in oil? Well, what happened was the Romans took him to boil him in oil, and it didn't work. He lived through the process. Could you imagine living through being boiled in oil? And so what happened to John was it bleached his skin white and it left scars all over his body. I mean, he had a hard time. He couldn't really go out in the sun after all of this. And the Roman law was this. 
Okay, if you had been put on trial for a crime to, and, and, the, and the sentence was execution and they failed at executing you, you could be set free. And so John was set free. However, he wasn't set free to just go back to the normal life that he was living, to go back to the normal things he was doing. They said, okay, you're free, but you're free to go to this small island in the Aegean Sea right off of the coast of Turkey called Patmos, and that's where you're going to live out the rest of your days. And that's where John spent the rest of his days living on this island, and that's where he had encounters with God where the things that we see in the book of Revelation were given to him. And then one more thing that we need to know about Revelation before we get into our text today is this. Many people think that Revelation is a prophetic book, you know, like Ezekiel or Isaiah or something like that. It's not a prophetic book, okay? It's called apocalyptic literature. What's the difference between uh, 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 apocalyptic literature and some prophetic word? Well, if you look at the prophets, how they would generally speak is they would say, hey, Rome, this is God. I'm going to come and slap you around if you don't clean some stuff up, okay? That was basically the way that the prophets would handle it. Now, apocalyptic literature is a lot different. What they do is they would come and they would speak in this this symbolistic language. It's kind of like you texting an emoji sentence. How many of you have heard that there's like an emoji Bible now? The whole Bible is written in emojis. If that's your skill, reading emojis, you can get a Bible that's all written in emojis, okay? But but it's kind of the same thing is that those faces and the symbols— they represent words and concepts and ideas. And, and, and that's the same thing here in the book of Revelation. We have these heads, we have these horns, we have, we have these beasts, and they're all symbolic of different things. And it doesn't really tell us what they are symbolic of. And what they do sometimes with this prophetic, or, um, apocalyptic literature is they'll take current events and they'll write them in this apocalyptic form to make it seem futuristic, but they're actually describing current events. And so the deal with Revelation is that when you read something in there, it could be something that had happened in the near past that John is describing. It could be something that was currently going on at the time that John was describing it, or it could be something that's in the future, or you know what? It could be both of those. It could be something that's happened in the past that God is going to do again. It could be something that's going on right then that God is going to do again. And so this is what makes it so hard to interpret and to understand it. Because I mean, I, all of you guys, uh, most people regardless of whether they've grown up in church or not, have heard about the the 666, the number of the beast. Uh, That was the name of an Iron Maiden album when I was a teenager that I had. Um, But but we we knew about these things. Would it blow your mind if I told you this morning that the events that they talk about there have already happened? That doesn't mean that they're not going to happen again, but they already happened. There was a time in the Roman Empire where in order to buy or sell, you had to go down and make an offering to a statue of the emperor. And after you made that offering, they would mark your hand, they would mark your head, so that people knew that you went down and made that offering. And so there... there, That's kind of how Revelation works here. It's got all of this stuff that's futuristic and yet past, and and it's really, really difficult to sort through. But thankfully, we have Terry here that's going to answer all those questions for you starting in September. Terry, I'm laying a heavy mantle upon you, but I have the confidence that you can do it. All right. 
Um, the first three, three chapters, though, are pretty easy because they're pretty clear. Okay, uh, they're, they're letters from uh, Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor. Minor Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. The purpose of his writing was that he wanted them to either be prepared for a persecution that was about to come, or if they were going through persecution at the current time, be encouraged and know that even though things are hard, Jesus wins in the end. But Jesus knew that in order for his church to survive these horrible events without walking away from their faith, there were some things that they needed to fix. There were some gaps in their life. There were some holes in their armor that they needed to repair. And one of the big keys in surviving persecution is to make sure that our lives are headed in the right direction that Jesus wants our lives to head. If we have big gaps in our spiritual life and suddenly persecution comes upon us, those are great holes. Those are great opportunities for the enemy to kind of come in and get into our life and kind of push us off track and move us in a different direction and do things to mess up and screw up our lives. And so Jesus knew that these churches in Asia Minor had these holes in them and he wanted these churches to survive. He wanted these churches to make it through to the end. Here's the amazing thing, or the thing that we, all, that, uh, that, that we need to know about this, is guess what? None of these churches are in existence anymore. So what does that tell you? None of them f- secured their foundation, built up the protection around them to survive the persecutions. I mean, just think what persecutions would do. Just think if, if uh, all of a sudden the United States government started persecuting people for coming to church on a Sunday mornings here in the United States. What would happen? This place would be really empty on a Sunday morning, wouldn't it? That's just how we are. And I think Jesus wants us to be prepared right now for trouble in our life. And that's why he wants to speak these texts to us. And so let's move on to the text. Uh, The first eight verses of chapter one of Revelation start off as many of the other letters of the New Testament do with a greeting from the writer to those that are reading it. We're going to skip over that greeting this morning and we are going to head to verse nine of chapter one and we're going to read the rest of this chapter and pull a couple of things out of it. This is what it says. I'm in Revelation chapter one, verse nine, reading through verse 20. I, John, your brother and companion, In the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours and Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right. So have you ever been somewhere where you thought you were all by yourself, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, appears somebody? Anyone ever been in that situation? I remember when I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, our, our teacher decided, our music teacher said, hey, for, for this week, uh, for tomorrow for music class, this is what I want everyone to do. I want everyone to bring in their favorite song for us to play in music class. And uh, my friend and I, we were staying after school. We were walking down the hallways of the school. We didn't think there was anyone else there. We thought almost everybody had gone home except for maybe the custodians. And so we're walking down the hallway and we're discussing this whole thing of what song do we want to bring? And we had an idea in our mind. See, the song that we wanted to bring was a song by Queen called Another One Bites the Dust. However, however, we didn't want to play it forward. Okay, we wanted to play the song backward. Okay, and those of you that grew up in that age, you maybe have heard what the song says when you play it backwards. I'm not going to share that with you. You can go home and you can go on YouTube, and there's plenty of YouTube videos of people playing that backwards. Actually, now all you have to do is take a recording, put it on your uh, uh, your uh, garage band for Apple and it'll play it backwards for you. But anyways, and so it had this message that it said when you played it backwards. And so our thought was this, man, we're going to really get this teacher tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to go home and we're going to take the record. See, uh, music used to come in records for those of you that don't know. All right. It was this big black CD that was like this big. Or you, yeah, you could get the small ones. They had ones that were smaller too. It was this big black CD and you'd put it on a turntable and it had an arm with a needle on it like that. Well, see, how you could play it backwards was you could just take your hand and spin it backwards and you'd be able to play the song backwards on it. And so, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go home. We're going to take a cassette tape, put it in the cassette deck of our, our uh, you'd have a record player and a cassette player in there. We're going to spin it backwards, record that. We're going to give it to the teacher and we're going to be like, ah, got you, got you. Yeah, we played a song we weren't supposed to play. That was an inappropriate song. Well, as we're walking down the hallway discussing this great master plan that we have, suddenly the music teacher pops out from behind a doorway, scared us to death. We're like, whoa, <laughs> we had no idea you were even in here. And she let us know in no uncertain terms that this plan that we had hatched was a very bad plan. And that if we choose to follow through with it, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. And uh, I'd already been in a lot of trouble that school year, and uh, I didn't plan on being any more. As a matter of fact, that year, the last time I was in the principal's office, he actually, nobody understood how I could do this because he seemed like the most mellow man. He got so mad at me that he took his glasses off and he threw them across the room. And when I told my sister that, she's like, how did you do that? Because he just didn't seem like one of those guys that would get mad, you know what I mean? But uh, that's the same kind of thing that happened here to John. Okay, it says that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And that was his way of saying that he was worshiping Jesus on a Sunday when suddenly Jesus shows up. And Jesus just doesn't show up. It says it blow, he, he speaks in his ear like a trumpet. Has anyone had anyone walk up and blow a trumpet in your ear? Anyone? How do you think that would feel? That wouldn't feel very good, would it? 
Well, that's what happens to John. He's sitting there worshiping. Could you imagine? You're here on a Sunday morning and you're, you're worshiping and the music and all of a sudden somebody just walks up and just poof, a trumpet in your ear. Could you imagine that? You'd scream like a little girl, wouldn't you? I mean, that's what I'm picturing John here. He's sitting there, he's sitting there worshiping and all of a sudden the trumpet, ah! you know, that sort of thing going on. <laughs> that one sounded like a cat. All right. And I don't know, maybe Jesus was trying to be funny. You know, hey, angels, watch this. I'm going to get John while he's worshiping. I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. But, but anyways, Jesus shows up. John had no idea he was there. And he just speaks to him like a trumpet blowing in his ear. And that's not what I want to focus on. The bigger thing I want to focus on here is that Jesus was there with John as he worshiped. And John had no idea he was even there. Have you ever come to church and thought to yourself, man, God's just not here today. You know, the Spirit's just not moving and working in this place today because I just, I can't feel Him. But here's what we need to know. That if you're at a place where they are worshiping Jesus, that Jesus is in that place whether you feel Him there or not. That means that Jesus is here right now in this room. He's walking up and down the aisles of this sanctuary. He's walking across the stage. He's up in the sound booth. He's everywhere in this room moving and working. Even if we don't sense him, even if we don't feel him, he is here. And it's a promise that he made to us. Jesus promised us in Matthew 18, 20 that he would be there wherever two or three are gathered in his name. And that's where we're at. There's more than two or three of us gathered here in this room. And so that means that whether you feel anything or not, Jesus is here in this place. So that means when we walk in here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night, instead of having the attitude of, oh, I wonder if Jesus is going to show up tonight. We should be walking in here with the, with the knowledge, knowing that Jesus is going to meet us here, regardless of the day, regardless of the time, regardless of anything else. And we need to put our feelings aside because, you see, we've become this society that measures everything by how and what we feel. Okay? And I've said this before, so I'm not going to get on this bandwagon again and start pounding it, but our feelings are wholly unreliable. Okay? We cannot trust our feelings for truth. They're not a source of truth. And so regardless of whether or not we walk in this room and we feel Jesus, Jesus is here each and every single time we meet together, each and every single time we gather together, even if the pastor, even if I was like completely out there in some crazy sin, it doesn't matter. Jesus will still show up here because it's not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon you. It's dependent upon the fact that people, two or three, who, who call on Jesus are gathered here. And because we're gathered here, his presence is going to show up here. And he's not going to walk away from us. You know, he loves his church. He loves each one of us in this room. He looks down upon us and he just, he's got love. He calls us his bride. I mean, think about that, man. Jesus calls us his bride. How do you feel about your bride, man? 
you feel good about your bride, right? You love your bride, you protect your bride, you do everything for your bride. Jesus, we are Jesus' bride. He's gonna be here. He's never gonna walk away from it. So whether we know it, see it, or feel it, Jesus is here whenever we gather together. The second thing I see here is that Jesus had a word for the church. He had something he wanted to say to the church, but the church, for some reason, was not able to hear that word. And I think the reason that Jesus had to bring the word to John was because the church was not listening. And what do I mean by that? Well, there's two reasons. Uh, The first reason was that the churches in Asia Minor had begun to compromise their faith in Jesus. See, what the churches in Asia Minor had begun to do was they began to drift back. See, they'd been set free from from the the Roman gods and all of the other religions that were out there. They'd been set free from that. They'd been separated from that. But the longer they walked with God, the more they wanted to go back towards that. And so people in the church started to head back towards that. Leaders in the church started to head back to the Roman cultural stuff and going to the Roman temples and worshiping the Roman gods. And the Roman gods and some of the temples and some of these cities, they had some crazy stuff going on that we won't talk about here because we want to keep it G-rated, but it was some crazy stuff. And Jesus, as I already had said, knew that they needed to get that stuff taken care of and cleaned up and correct the ship because if it wasn't corrected, they were going to be in trouble. The persecution was going to come. Life wasn't going to be as easy as it had been. And the holes in the vessel that they were traveling in were going to start to fill up with water and the ship was going to go down if they didn't get back to where Jesus had originally taken them. But here's the thing. The same thing is true for us. Jesus wants to speak to us. Just like he wanted to speak to those churches in Asia Minor. Jesus has something to say to us as a church. He has something to say to us as individuals. Jesus wants to speak. But there's a couple of things that keep us from hearing what Jesus has to say. Okay, there's a couple of things that keep us from what Jesus wants to speak to us. And the first thing is this. When we don't obey what he's already said to us. What do I mean by that? He's given us an Old Testament and a New Testament. He's given us all kinds of stuff in there that he's already called us to and told us to follow and obey. And if we can't open it up and follow what's in there, he's not going to speak something new to us. Too often we look at the old and we say, oh, let me just hold on. You know, let me, I'm sorry, that was the wrong thing. That's not what I wanted to say. Sometimes we, yeah, we look at the old and we say, that's old stuff. You know, I need something fresh and new. Well, Jesus doesn't have fresh and new for us. He's got following his word, following the things that he's written in the Bible. And sometimes we miss out on what's next because we don't want to follow what's written there, but we're always looking out for what's next. We need to follow what's written there first before we can hear a new word from him. And so if you're waiting for Jesus to speak to you and he's not, maybe you should start by checking and saying, you know what, where am I at? What am I doing in my life? Where's my life at? Am I following Jesus, the way that I should be following Jesus. Now, I I need to give some point of clarification on this, and it's this, and it's not trying to excuse anything, but we all sin, okay? John sinned, okay? I sin. Everybody sins on this side of eternity. 
I'm not saying in this that we have to live a perfect life because sometimes that's what people take away from it. I gotta live perfectly. And once I live perfectly, then Jesus will talk to me. No, that's not what I'm saying here in the text. We have to make sure that we are not living in sin. It's okay to struggle with sin, but when we decide to go back to something that we've been set free from, when we decide to go back to something that held us captive, that Jesus has freed us from, that's not going to help us to hear God's voice. And I think that's part of the struggle that they had here in these churches in Asia Minor was that they were, they, they were going back to the sin that Jesus had freed them from. And because of that, Jesus wasn't able to speak to them. The second reason I believe that Jesus could not speak to the churches in Asia Minor was because there was no anticipation of his voice speaking. Why would I say that? Well, uh, they were moving back towards the things that Jesus had set them free from. They were moving back to the paganism of the culture they lived in. And if you're moving back towards what you've come out of, if you're moving away from Jesus, there probably wasn't much anticipation or expectation of Jesus actually speaking. The church wasn't expecting to hear from Jesus, and when there is no expectation of his voice, there's rarely a revelation of his voice. And I really feel, once again, that this is true of the church here in America, that this is true of FAM Church as well. Most of the time, we walk in here on a Sunday morning, we walk in here on a Wednesday night, and our heart, our mind is not saying, God, what are you going to say to me tonight? Instead, we're walking in here going, okay, Jesus, I'm here to do my duty. I'm here to go to church like you want me to, but I don't expect anything. See, if we're coming in here and we're not expecting to hear the voice of God speaking to us, we are never going to hear the voice of God. Instead, as followers of Jesus, as people who are part of FAM Church, what we should be doing is walking in these doors on Sunday morning and saying to ourselves, God, what do you have to say to me today? I know you're here. We already covered that portion of it. I know you've got something to say. God, what do you have to speak to me? Because I know you have a word for me. God wants to speak to us. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has something to say to you? Because he wants to speak. He wants his voice to be heard in each one of our lives. But too many times, we do the things that keep his voice from being heard. And one of them is our attitude when we show up here in a place where he can speak. And when we change our hearts, when we say to ourselves, you know what, God, I'm expecting you to speak, it changes worship. Suddenly, we're in worship and we expect God to say something to us through worship. Suddenly we're in prayer and we expect God to say something to us through prayer. We expect God to be right there by our side as we pray and as we seek his face. Suddenly this message that there's some guy up there talking head up there, rambling on about something. Suddenly if we say to ourselves, I believe Jesus is going to speak. Suddenly something comes out of the text at us and God says something to us. Heck, Jesus may even say something to you in the offering time. You never know. But he wants to say something to us. He wants to speak to us. Fam Church, we need to get back to having that expectation of Jesus speaking to us when we walk through these doors on Sunday morning. God's going to speak to you 
about what he wants to do in and through your life. He's going to speak to you what he wants to do in and through ministry in the church. I mean, I ask the staff every week, what is God saying to you about Fam Church? Because I believe that God is saying something through everyone. He cares about this church. He loves this church. He wants to do something phenomenal through this church. He wants to speak to you about maybe the sickness that's gotten a hold of a family member's body. He wants to speak to you maybe about the situation you find yourself in. He wants to speak to you about that loved one who's walked away from God and is going on a wrong path. He wants to speak to you. 